This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. The Podcast Studios is the home of the Headstuff Podcast Network. It's where lots of our shows are recorded and we work on editing, promotion, videos, live shows and lots more. As a podcast production company with three state-of-the-art studios for audio and video in Dublin city centre, we can work with you to tell great stories in a professional and engaging way. From government organisations to charities, arts groups to international brands, entrepreneurs to hobbyists, we've worked with everybody and we can help you to get the word out. Whether you need studio time, you're hosting a live stream or webinar, or you need support with editing or marketing, we can tailor a package for you. For more info, head to thepodcaststudios.ie. Welcome back to FNI Rap Chat. It's Carla again. Thanks for coming with me on my journey to learn everything I can about animation in Ireland. I'm here with the right man today, Steve Woods, director and owner of Cell Division. He also teaches animation. We talk uh, education. We talk about the history of animation in Ireland and a little about Steve's upcoming book, Drawing the Line. I'm so very lucky to have Steve here with me today. I hope you learned as much from him as I did in the last hour. To follow me along on my journey through animation, you can follow us here on FNI Rap Chat. You can follow along on YouTube, Spotify, Headstuff Plus, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. If you love what we do here, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI. Hello, Steve. Hi, Clever. Hello. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to me today. It's a pleasure. It's. I was absolutely delighted to get you because you are one of the most interesting people I have ever met. Okay. Not just in regards to animation, in regards to your whole spiderweb of stuff that you do. So oh, I know this is a podcast, but I'm blushing, everybody. Oh, I'm going red. So pink. Oh, well, it's just so nice to have people come in and say yes to us because you have a wealth of knowledge to share so we're going to dig into that it's because i'm old (laughs) it's because you've aged like fine wine thank you i would say so tell me a little bit about yourself how did you get here yeah um i got interested in animation when there was very little of it going on actually and um i wasn't i had a background a bit of a background drawing cartoons uh, for the odd left-wing paper stuff and i realized that I, I did about 12 a year and you couldn't make a living in that. But I, I moved into an apartment with or a flat with uh, some uh, with a guy called Declan Quinn, actually, who's got a he's got a career in Hollywood now. And his wife, Edda, was very interested in animation and she wanted to make some animation. So we rigged up a rostrum camera. I just helped Declan make a rostrum camera for 16 mil film rostrum camera. And um, we were going to shoot this project uh, Edda had and uh, she became pregnant and gave up on the idea so we had this rostrum camera so I thought I'd give it a shot and one I, I shot some animation uh, cut it paper animation um, and when I did that I saw it move playback Declan also had a I did loads of gear he had some editing equipment he had a 35mm camera and he had um, 
projector. So when I played it back on the projector, I saw the pictures move and that was it caught the bug and I wanted to stay with it. And um, um, at, the, at the time, there was a guy called Harry Hess, who was a sort of a, a very interesting early kind of pioneer in the middle of anime and in, in, in the early days of animation. And he set up a course in NCAD in, in Thomas Street there, uh, where he did an animation module for graphic students. And in the evening, he did an animation course. So I did that. So very basic stuff. And from that, I set up a studio with um, two people, two ex-students of Harry's, and um, started dabbling doing corporate kind of videos back then. But there was no computer, so you, you, you know, if you want to do a pie chart, something had to sort of animate it. And uh, I could reckon I could do that much animation. <laughs> I learned of the job, and then I went to Annecy, where I saw animated films, and I saw the whole competition, and people really serious into animation. And I said, listen, I, I think I'll, uh, I'll try and make a film, and I did. And that got me into RTE, and I, I worked a year in RTE doing stings for a TV uh, for a children's show, which is how a lot of people started. And uh, or not a lot, but you know you could get a start that way. And um, yeah, that was basically it. That's how I, I got kicked into animation. You know, there wasn't much animation around at the time. You know, you had Jimmy Murakami had a studio that made ads mostly for Europe, but he made one or two Irish ads too. Um, in Irish Town, you know, he started off in Sandy Mount, he went to Dundrum, and then he ended up in uh, Irish Town. And there was Aidan Hickey, who was doing good RTE work. And there was the granddaddies of them all, the Quinn films, James Quinn, um, and later his son, um, who was a teacher of yours. I'm so bad at names. I just <laughs> can't believe I've forgotten uh, David. David Quinn's name. Jeez. Anyway, David, um, who's a friend of mine, is... Uh, you know, took the took over the reins there, and so that was that was uh, one of the oldest studios, you know, and this was all just before the Americans kicked off, you know. Okay. You work in experimental animation. Yes, he you, says hesitantly. Yeah, you're interested in it. You teach it. What yeah, it? Uh, the word experimental animation, experimental film. Um, I suppose you could say it's non-narrative. In, that's one part of it. It's, it I, I'm not that interested in getting a narrative out so much. Um, and the other side that people talk about, you know, experimental animation, is also the styles you work in. So, and that's what most people mean by it. And that's what I teach in Dunleary College now in uh, the National Film School in IADT. And it's um, all, all the early forms of animation were never thrown out. They still are in the, you know, the, the uh, toolbox of animation. So unlike live action, if live action, they invent something new like talkies was a classic example of a silent movie. So nobody makes a silent movie anymore and mm. certainly don't make it in black and white and they don't square off the image or do anything like that. They, they always try to be, oops, they always try to be contemporary and, and um, up to speed and all that kind of stuff. Whereas with animators, anything that knew that came along, that's great, but we kept the old stuff as well. Mm -hmm. So people still make films like Gertie the Dinosaur was made in 1914, 15 or 16, whichever, um, which is single level. Everybody, You draw the background, you draw the character and all the animation and everything uh, on one piece of paper. And when you draw the next piece of paper, you draw the background, the action, the character and everything. And it animates as you go along. Um, that's a very old style, and people still work on that. And that's called experimental. And uh, working on sand, if you, if you Google sand animation, you get people making illustrations with sand. But I'm talking about making the, the sand move. Uh, and that's, that's very, very suitable to abstract work. Mm. So a lot of experimental 
work done in sand is actually abstract animation, which again is a sort of experimental work and often non-narrative. And then there's great pioneers like Norman McLaren who scratch directly onto film lovely shapes. And um, yeah, you're looking at sort of modern art come alive, you know, so, so that's, um, that's what people mean by experimental work. But you can, you can use all those alternatives, like direct onto film, single level, paper cutout, sand, pixelation, particularly pixelation where you move people. All of that stuff can be narrative or non-narrative. So uh, whereas in, in um, usually when you talk about um, experimental work, you tend to be talking about abstract work and mm. stuff like that in, in fine arts. Um, mm. And, the, you know, fine art videos uh, that you'd see in a white space gallery, um, they tend to be, th what makes them experimental is their non-craft. Right. So it's somebody with an out-of-focus video jumping up and down the trampoline saying, <laughs> talking about, you know, this is their, uh, try I'm trying to examine my identity in the landscape or whatever, you know, they're trying to say. And... Uh, Whereas what I'm talking about, uh, experimental animation that I, I, I teach and, and that I try to do is craft-based. So it has a structure, it has an edit, it has you know one scene following another scene. Mm. So there is a structure to it, even if it's not narrative. Yeah. Okay, really interesting. Thank you. Um, so you've been around the block. What have you got? Two or three times. So much knowledge. <laughs> what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in animation in Ireland over the years? Uh, well, the two come to mind. One would be that we we kind of started off in a classic uh, European mode, you know, yeah, small looks like little, Disney. yes, yeah. yeah, and one even looks like Disney. It's like you know, um, like James Quinn down in in um, Tipperary with Quinn Films. They were making model animation. That's kind of a classic way for animators in Europe to get in, you know, because it's small. You you can you know you can rig it up like a little live action camera set so if you've got camera live action background you can apply yourself to animation but you just have to remove the wooden models and puppets very carefully and then you know myself i was into cutout animation which loved aiden hickey was you know the grandfather of cutout animation in ireland so he he developed a relationship with rte so what we were what we were doing was we were um following a pattern in Europe, small little studios doing their own things, cottage-like industries. And uh, so the big change that happened, and because I was there when that was happening, uh, was the Americans arrived. And so we suddenly got Hollywood big studios. Mm. And that didn't happen anywhere else in Europe. You know, that was really, really, I mean, yes, there were big studios in France and, and one or two other places, but um, they, the way they came in us with the whole American thing, and it was duplicated in the colleges because the colleges started teaching American animation through Sheridan, the course that Sheridan College in Canada developed, which Ballyfermot bought in and then ex-students of Ballyfermot brought to other colleges. Um, so that's, that's, the, that's one of the big things, the, 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 the movement from, or not, not the total abandonment from, there's still people doing small college-like stuff, and that's great, um, but also this awareness of big studios and how to operate them. That was a very, very sudden change and kind of out of kilter and sh kind of shouldn't happen, you know. Mm. And then the other one was not long after that was the move from film to digital. And so I'm old enough to remember. I, I, mean, I learned how to load a camera and learned how to learn to focus and rig a camera up for animation and, and light it and all. And that, that there's much to do lighting it, but, you know. And, um, and then digital came in and suddenly uh, you didn't have to edit on, f on an editing bench and... 
um, you didn't have to worry about footage and then video assist kicked in so you could play back what you just shot and, you know you couldn't do that back in the day when I started there used to be a lab in RTE for 16mm reversal film which means you didn't use, use a negative you shot on a on a positive stock if that makes any sense mm -hmm. and then it, they would they develop it so you'd go in and, and you just crossed your fingers and hope you didn't make a mistake and uh, it'd come out as a, a positive piece yeah and you looked at it and you went yeah that's good enough to go on air Wow. Yeah, it was it was pretty hairy. What stayed the same? Um, I think what stayed the same or even got better was our sense of, well, certainly our sense of storytelling, mm. which is slow to develop scripting, you know. Scripting for, for pictures is really so hard. Yeah. We have this tradition of storytelling, which doesn't really, you know, uh, making film is, is making a story with pictures, not telling a story with words. And so we had a, we had to fight this wonderful storytelling tradition we have, which is, is actually is a strength, but it's it gets in the way a bit. And also our literary tradition, which is like, you know, James Joyce writing the great Irish novel, which, you know, people were really doing when they were writing a script, they were writing a novel or a play or a play because we have a tradition in that, of course. And um, and slowly and we're still doing it. We're still trying to learn good scripting. But I mean, from where it began with the first film board, uh, which closed down whenever. When did it close down? Eighty. 87, 88 or something. That, that, um, and then it started again. We had to start all over again. And scripting only started kicking in the last 15 years, I think. Good scripts. Mm. Um, as for animation itself, um, even though you, know, you don't use paper, you really do have to learn in paper with a pencil and you have to learn some basic animation yeah. principle ideas. I think I think we're getting a bit stayed at it. You know, we're still teaching the Sheridan course, which is you know all well and good, and the principles are the principles, and there'll always be the principle. A two-legged walk is going to be a two-legged walk, mm -hmm. but I think there can be there should be more panache to it, more um, uh, imagination to it as well. Okay, you know, feeding imagination as well as the principles, uh, which is the what which is in the last three or four years is, is a turn which uh, has happened in IADT. They're trying to uh, emphasize the creative as well as the, the boot camp kind of work. Yeah. Um, that's under, under David Quinn, who's never remembered this time. <laughs> yeah, D David's pushing that quite strong there. Great. So you still have to learn your bouncing ball. You still have to learn your bouncing ball. You still best to start with a pencil and paper. Mm -hmm. Even though we're all going paperless, it's still the best way to start. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. So, we actually had a chat before this, mm. and you wrote a book. Well, that's right, yeah. So, one of my questions I have here is, why do you think animation flourished in Ireland? And I feel like you might be the best person to answer this question. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I kind of knew about this before I wrote the book, and the book certainly kind of reinforces it, that we had this, I think animation, uh, there was a number of things came together. Um, the American studios arriving was a big deal. And it learned, you know, we learned how to make a bit feature films. And even if we didn't want to make a feature film, we had that in our heads. I mean, it wasn't a mystery. Um, that was one thing. The other thing was the colleges picked up on it and started teaching animation, first di diploma courses, then degree courses. And to a very good standard, and again, with a very strong American influence. And, and then another thing would have been the, the um, tiger economy. Mm. You know, so many people like that, especially when the color, when the studios sunk, they would have, and many did, go to Phoenix, Arizona, with and followed um, Don Bluth over there, and there was already a little residue of people there. Um, uh, 
in um, in um, L.A. and Brian Woods and Karen Hamrock. I can't remember who, uh, Karen's partner now. God, it'll kick me when he, if he hears this and I don't mention his name. And of course, Richie Bainham was uh, the famous Richie. Uh, uh, they were already uh, there too. So, so there was this. There was this. Um, there would have been more immigration from Ireland, but because of the Celtic time, people stayed. Mm. And it wasn't easy. That sounds like it was easy. There was money pouring in. It wasn't. You know, just setting up a business is really hard, and most businesses don't survive two years. So it was, I think, one of the reasons why they survived was because they were young. There's so many young people kicking off, mm. and they didn't know what failure was and didn't care. And, you know, they could live next to nothing for years, you know. I, I know I know that for sure that all the all the CEOs who set up all started off, you know, working in their bedrooms or paying people and not paying themselves, mm -hmm. you know, and and somehow it was youth and youthful enthusiasm, which which with with a growing economy, with an educated background, and with some you know some people saying oh yeah didn't they make feature films oh yeah maybe maybe they should oh they're still making feature films or you know and there was a few feature films getting made or produced anyway mm. you know um terry glyph was doing a few with uh uh paul paul bulger and um there were big long form series getting done in shepherd with jimmy murakami and um michael alger so they were they were they were all the residue if you like if you can put it like that from that survived the collapse of the big studios and and decided look we've got something here we can keep it going um which was very very courageous of them and they and they stuck it through you know um i'm trying to um, drag names out i'm just so bad at names you remember that when i was a student <laughs> when you were a student and i was your teacher and trying to struggle with names but uh, the thing of it is is that um they they all pulled through and and there were a lot of young people coming through with who who developed slowly but surely skills um and they grew up with the industry too they grew up with the digital crossover which was a no big for me it was heartbreaking when we changed from film <laughs> you know? uh, but for them they didn't care less mm -hmm. and also with the rise of computer work you know and thinking of brand bag you know how they very quickly up the up the ante with their computer work and started producing really high quality work mm -hmm. that then became they were people were beating a track from la to work with them you know so um so yeah, the success story is the educational background, the American influence, the Tiger economy. Even though you know the Tiger economy collapsed, but the student, the the, the um, for the most part, the animation industry didn't. It kept thriving, you know. Mm, so it was the perfect storm: the right people, the right time. Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, and it was a perfect storm. Yeah, which uh, still has a strong effect now. You know, I, it, even with COVID, you know, the animation company seems to be seems to be going through working its way through that and uh, became covid proof recession proof hopefully it'll be artificial intelligent proof as well yeah hopefully um i think we'll, i think we'll be okay we have a long legacy of coping quite well with adversity in ireland so I'm hoping yeah when i was when i was writing the book i remember mark cumberland said this kind of argument about you know new technology has been as old as the as old as the Stone Age, he said they were fighting over, you, you know, should you make a picture with a f your finger or should you use this newfangled stick? You know? so <laughs> That's what I right. said to you before, the, the man on the street with the bell ringing that the end is here. Yeah, happened in 3D, uh, happened when we went digital. It's always going to happen. Yeah, there'll always be people saying it's the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's very true. Um, so I'm, I might just ask you about the book now. Please tell me some more. It sounds so interesting. Uh, yeah, I finished the book in March. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, it may be printed next March. It's with an agent at the moment who's trying to get a, a company for it mm. to publish it. Hopefully he will. What's it about? It's kind of a personal story about animation. I did try to make it into an academic kind of tome at one point. I thought this would be the go-to place for anybody who wanted to know anything about animation. And uh, in the end, it, it, I sort of fell back in my own, I suppose, storytelling and just made it more of a personal story. Mm. And indeed, I think there's a f quite a few gaps in it. I, I shouldn't say that because I want people to think that I'm buying the <laughs> definitive history. But it's not so that there's gaps, but I do touch on things. And I hope that some students and ex-students will go, oh, you know, what, what did he mean by that? And who were they? I'll check that out. You know, and you could have another little, you know, magazine article at the very yeah. least or a thesis or something from, from some of the questions that are uh, that are left hanging in the book. Mm. But the book starts with... Um, it starts with uh, animation in Ireland from uh, James Horgan, who experimented in animation just after the First World War, and uh, which was very, very early on in animation. And then I explain where animation is and where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And I talk about that it predates cinema, and uh, just by a few years, but it does. And um, and then how you know the whole problem of kicking into a film industry you know, setting up an animation industry in the 50s and 60s in Ireland was really hard but so it was for live action as well mm -hmm. the, the, there was a kind of a, a fear by government to to establish a film industry because film reflects society and they didn't want anything bad <laughs> they didn't want, I mean this this state was founded by a cultural revival mm -hmm. where people put plays on and saying isn't you know Britain wicked and why don't we have our own country and they were afraid that they would put up films saying, isn't the government wicked and let's have a new government or let's, you know, go socialist or something like that. So they were very, very heavy handed about that. And when they did open uh, Ardmore, they t tended to want foreign companies to come there and we'd service them. And if anything Irish was done, it was usually Irish, you know, it was usually... Um, yeah, out on the know, west coast in yeah, a or, or yeah, yeah, and the main actor would be English and stuff like that, you know. And some of them <laughs> were good, like some of them were good, and they certainly trained up great craftspeople and, and you know uh, camera crews and costume departments and makeup yeah. departments. All of those was were really great came out of it. But what really kicked animation and made the government say, "Listen, we've got to do something," is TV. Mm -hmm. They had to launch a TV. We were one of the last countries in Europe to do it, and I think that's because they were afraid of it. And then when they got animation in, and when they got TV in, they had to have animation somehow. And so they fed out small jobs too, like uh, James Quinn and Quinn Films or Aidan Hickey. And, uh, and even I've been one of those people, last people maybe to come to the table of those independents. But um, I, even I got some work from them. And um, in the meantime, um, animation then took off. You know, just, just we went to bed one night and there was like six animators working in <laughs> Ireland. We woke up and there's 360, you know, and then Sullivan Blue had suddenly appeared. So uh, and that um, that's covered very strongly, and how how we survived after that failure is is very strong in it as well in the book. So there's a chapter about pre-America and the early the early people stepping up, you know, and um, then the American studios, and then the survivors, and that would initially that would be Brown Bag. Mm -hmm. There are two people who sort of there were the big studios like Monster. Uh, and and uh, Monster Productions and Shepherd and Terry Glyph. they were the three big studios and and Paul and Paul Bulger's studio down in in um, oh name escapes me I'm sorry um, down in Dunleary, um, Dagda Films and uh, he they they kind of all came out of and survived in Blueth, but then some new independent type people coming through and the two that stand out would be uh, Brown Bag Films by by Cal Gaffney and and. Uh, Daryl Connell, you know, who, who uh, they were the, some of those people who really 
sweated blood to get that studio off the ground. And um, and Bob uh, Cullen, isn't it? Bob Cullen of Boulder. So so he and with Anne Tweedy and people like that uh, formed formed uh, Boulder Media. And from those two studios, particularly an awful lot of people went in and out of out of um, brown bag because it was more of an independent place and it was more you could get in and get out of. And uh, they were basically saying, God, I like what these guys are doing. Maybe we could do something like that too. I think Robert uh, Cullen actually worked in brown bag for a little bit as well. But um, so they kind of spawned off uh, some work, you know, uh, or some kind of inspiration to maybe we should go out ourselves and do stuff. Yeah, that entrepreneurial quality of trying to set up your own studio, I think, is was 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 really part of the reason why we were successful as well. You know, mm. we weren't just sitting around waiting for service work to come in, or, or or I'm just here so I can go and get a better job in LA. You know, people stayed. You know, people, loads of people. You had Paul McGrawan, like he stuck it out, and and um, Andrew Cavanagh and all the brown bag people, uh, and, and not the brown bag people, cartoons and balloon people, you know, they were all decided they were gonna stick it out in here, you know, and it wasn't always easy, you know. Mm. What do you think it is about the craft of animation that draws in these passionate people who work for nothing and are really driven to start their own studios? Do you think it's something in the craft or is it in the people? Yeah, I think it's something in the craft, uh, on, on maybe the people too, but certainly the craft, and they don't work for nothing anymore, <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> emphasizing that very strongly. Um, yeah, there's something about the craft. It's such an exact and, you know, I like to compare animation like poetry and that live action is like novel writing. You know, it's distilled. It's It's got a very deep passion to it. Um, even if you see live action directors who started in animation, you can see that like, you know, um, uh, uh, Terry Gillenham, you know, in Brazil and or uh, the guy who did uh, or uh, Tim Burton, you know, it's mm -hmm. Edward Scissorhands. Those kind of films, you know, when you say oh, they were done by animation directors or people who cut their teeth in animation, you get, oh, yeah, because it's got that richness to it. Mm. And um, there's just something about that, you know, that, that you know, and just the, the handcraft that, you know, that you're, you're also very often as you're an animator and you're learning to animate, you're learning to act a bit, you know, because you have to put that personality into the drawing and you're, you're learning to be a director because you know well, what's going to happen in the next scene. Mm. Or you're also learning to be an editor because you're going, well, that's too much of that and I'll cut that back and do less of that and I'll do more in the other scene. So you're thinking like an editor, a filmmaker, you know, a camera person, um, an actor and uh, costume designer because you're going you're gonna to design them up and colour them, you know, mm. uh, art direction, all that stuff. You're kind of one-man band in that respect and and um, you don't departmentalize yourself I mean the, you do eventually a lot of people decide I'm just gonna do backgrounds mm. or I'm just gonna do special effects and computers or something but but basically you start off as a sort of a one-man band a one-woman band and and um, I don't think to think about that in live action you know so so I think there is something about the craft that makes you very passionate about it and more involved maybe more crazy about it than, than live action and um, the yeah, just a, just the thought comes to my mind about live action. You know, live action and animation is converging so much too that a lot of live action is taking the lead from animators because they're much more exact about the choreography in a scene or mm -hmm. the weight and movement and timing in a scene. You know, so a CGI piece of animation is great, but you know, not a, not but it has to be operated by an animator. You mm -hmm. know, so an awful lot of animation, an awful lot of live action is CGI work. But really, it doesn't work unless an animator has it because they can see the bigger picture. And then you're like assistant director, 
that's their little bag, that that animated world that they've created, that computer-generated world that they've created and that volcano in it that's going to blow. And they, they'll look after that. Then the director, the live-action director, will go, oh, no, it's great. And they'll go, no, it's not great because, you know, those boulders aren't falling the right way. I'm going to make them fall the right way. Mm. That's my animator coming at me. And so uh, they go, yeah, whatever. You know, so they back off. So an awful lot of special effects animation uh, is, is ruling the roost in live action, I think. And it's, there's a convergence. Live action is coming over to animation. Yeah, I'd never You know, Avatar and all that stuff. Yeah, it's... The, the back to Richie Mangum. CGI is deeply crafted the way that 2D and 3D animation is. Yeah, It's yeah. every frame of painting kind of... Yeah, exactly, on. yeah. And well, there you go. Every every frame of painting is... Yeah, it's kind of a guide in animation that makes it very intense and more... Po I'm going to say more poetic than, than uh, live action. Mm. Okay. Um, thank you for that. Uh, then my next question is... You sat down, you wrote a book... Right, you're great at concentrating because you're in animation and you kind of have yeah, to be that's point. that, right? Was it hard to go from writing scripts to writing a novel? No, no, I didn't write a novel. Oh, you didn't write a novel? I, it wasn't a personal story in that respect. It's oh, actually okay. a history of animation. Oh, okay. Yeah. But did you struggle with that? Um, no, I don't think I did, actually. Okay, I, kn I knew I knew there was a narrative beginning, middle and end. Yeah. And I had a lot of anecdotes to talk about it so I could write them up yeah mm. yeah um, no it's not a novel of animation who killed who oh I'm sorry <laughs> I thought it was a, a, a mystery. fantasy yeah science fiction <laughs> science fiction that's brutal <laughs> all animation is science fiction anyway that's true that's very true and would you approach um writing this long form prose historical content the same way you would approach a script do you go in with a structure and fill it out or did you start at the beginning and just write um yeah, no, there was. I had a structure, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I sort of wrote down the contents page, and that became the structure. Mm. And, yeah, and you, you try to carry the one one chapter on to the next chapter. Mm. And, yeah, the writing skills of writing scripts definitely helped, yeah. Yeah, good. Mm. Good. Um, sorry. Is there anything you want me to ask about the book? Sorry. Um, Sorry, I just want to put the book stuff. Yeah, no, the... Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Sorry? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I forgot David Quinn's number and stumbled over that. Yeah. But you can make that um, tidier. Not the first time I mentioned him, not the last time about education. Yeah, are you okay? Do you want to sup the water? No, I've been supping the water. Whoops, whoops, whoops. I've been supping the water away there, yeah. Very good. So, um... Okay, there's lots of book stuff. Is there anything you really want me to ask about that you'd like to go off on? Yeah, there was something there that yeah. I, I was leaving out. Oh, yeah, education. We never really touched on education. Education, yeah. yeah. Um, if you want, I can go on to the education part now. I just wanted to give you a chance to talk about the yeah. book if you wanted to. Okay, we'll be well, well, one of the things in the book actually also covered wasn't just... Um, you know, the blah, blah, blah account of studios coming along and setting themselves up and the success story mm. of that. And I also want to include a chapter on education because, okay. like I alluded to earlier, it's, it's very, it was very important in the success story of animation. That's my next question. Okay. So will we go again? Uh, yes. You sure you're ready? Yes. Fantastic. You're doing so good. <laughs> I'm having such a good time. Okay, thank you. So what are some of the changes you've seen in animation education in Ireland over the years? And how does that play into where we are to now? In education? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was very, it was very, it's like you were saying, the perfect storm. It came at the right time, you know, when the, when the big studios were there trying to train up Irish people to, to uh, 
to take over the jobs that many of the Americans started with in the big studios. Um, they got a really great education uh, system in. It was Jerome Morrissey and Bally Fermat got the Sheridan course in and with a lot of good tutors around him. Um, they developed a very, very uh, good course. Um, not just not just in the basic animation principles, but also in visual language, which Thelma Chambers had a lot to do with. And um, also in uh, life drawing, which is so important in animation, which Laura Venerables had a lot to do with in the initial stages in, 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 in Bally Fairmont. She now works with me down in Dunleary. But um, the... Um, you know, I remember working, you know, coming across animation people in Britain and stuff, uh, and they just didn't know what we were doing. You know, like like you know, working with blue pencils and and drawing circles up and planning the movement in a certain way. They didn't get that in our colleges in England. You know, they okay. didn't know they didn't get that American style. So because we had the American education system from Sheridan, we actually stole it, stole a, uh, a bit of a march on most of the Europeans. You know, okay. and and the British and. Um, that sort of spread out then towards Doolig and uh, the National Film School in Dunleary, and now there's other courses in Letterkenny, uh, um, TUS Athlone in Limerick, Clamell, there's three campuses to animation, and Tralee does a bit, and then there's a few private places like Pulse. Um, so there's a lot of animation been taught in, in Ireland, so also up in Belfast, of course, where they actually have a, an MA in, in it as well. They're developing an MA in Dunleary as we speak. Um, the... Um, yeah, there's there's a real real uh, part of the strength of it is is uh, the animation course that it developed uh, very very well. There was money put into it, you know. Mm. And, um, John Morrissey raised the money and put great great amount of money and, and good teachers and the and the student. Carl Gaffney says that one of the reasons why those first three years, I, who I who I refer to as the specials, the Valley Fairman specials, because so many of them became CEOs or did so much work or got nominated for Oscars or all sorts of things that um, that they, they they weren't just taught this wonderful course from from uh, Sheridan College which was unique in, in, in uh, outside Europe outside America and it was unique in Europe um, they were also taught by practitioners down in the you know a couple of animators said yeah I'd like to do a bit of teaching so they came out hot from their animation desks and came up and taught those guys and um, you know we have we you know when when Garrett Lee got into uh, um, Ballyfermot, he redeveloped. You know, now he he wanted to bring something of that back, so he developed an industrial hub and skill nets and all that kind of stuff. But he also developed a link with the alumni from from those years to come back and interact with the students. You know, and I think that's a really important thing that uh, the students realise that um, the sort of the people that they might look up to. You know, the Carol Gaffneys of this world, the Richie Bainons, or all that, were just you know snotty little. <laughs> gets like them you know in the college <laughs> just a few years ago because I was there I was teaching them you know and you know the, the, every year that comes in um, just looks like the last year you know and mm. they all have the same quality you know and they all could become as famous or as great if they wish to in fact there's a tremendous in the last six or seven years in Dunleary and I can only speak for Dunleary I'm sure it's no no I've done a bit of external work in, in uh, Limerick this year and I, I saw some really really good course uh, uh, very talented people there that really talented people have been attracted to animation now mm. really gifted artists and, and already half baked animators you know they've done a bit of it already online and stuff which you wouldn't see 10 15 20 years ago and um, they're making us look good and they're uh, we're getting exceptionally talented people you know 
um, people like uh, Tom Moore, you know, back in the day, like we're getting three or four Tom. <laughs> this is what they don't know. They don't realize they're as good as Tom. And Tom's a really nice guy, and I'm sure you'd agree. Um, that we're getting people coming in as talented as him now by by the three or four, you know, and it's just it's just means that you know this wonderful thing that's happening is going to continue, you know. Yeah, um, it stands to the quality of the education in this country that it's attracting such talented people. But where do they develop their skills before they get to college? Where are these people's skills coming yeah, from? There, there's something happening there too. I think you know our class, our class in in uh, secondary schools are improving, mm. and they're. Twigging that you know an animation, someone in animation should have a little bit of animation's quality better than the and the portfolio preparations. There's more and more schools in portfolio preparation, dealing with animation study there, doing mm. animation studies. So, um, so that's prepping up the students quite well as well. So by that stage, they know they want to do it. They're not going to arrive in and go, holy, you know, God, this is yeah. hard work. How which many is times it is. do I have to draw this circle? Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> Peter said, God knows it is hard work. Yeah, it is. I suppose it's very different to have an, a rostrum camera in your shed you know um, you yeah. don't need a rostrum rig no. in the shed I didn't have a rostrum camera in the shed I did I made a couple of rostrum cameras I made I made that one for Eto with Declan and then I made one for the first studio I had in Dawson Street mm. and then I made another one for another place but uh, um no, nowadays, you know, you can shoot you can shoot an app on your phone. Yeah. God you have no idea how amazing that is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, because like we didn't have line testers. When I started there wasn't a line tester. He just had to shoot stuff and hope it worked, or you know, or if you had time, you know, like I was, I was producing a minute of animation a week in RTE, and basically I shot it on a, I shot it on the Friday, uh, no, no, I sh yeah, I shot it on a Friday between about eight o'clock and eleven o'clock. <laughs> I got into the baths in in the lab uh, f before twelve. It came out before one, and then I brought it to an editor, and if there was a mistake in it, I was in trouble. Mm. So. Um, you really made sure your animation did work, you know. It was paper cutout animation, it wasn't terribly complicated, but things could go wrong, of course. Very and uh, yeah, I had the, it was basically the same soundtrack every every week, so with a few sound effects parked uh, into it. But um, yeah, so nowadays I could shoot it, you know, and go, I don't like that, take those frames out and put in something else. You know. mm, very interesting. Um, the creative development you're seeing in colleges. Do you think if people are coming in with a higher skill set, higher skill set in quotation marks, yeah, yeah. that they have more room and more freedom to be creative within their four years of their bachelor degree? Well, that's the that's that's what I think is happening. I think that's what's happening in 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 Dunleary. Dunleary always had a bit of a reputation because of you know I used to teach uh, well I still do teach alternative animation, experimental animation with sand and paper cutouts and all that, which mm. you didn't get in the other colleges, and um, so. So it always had this, and there was it's more of a filmmaker's film place, and it's not, that's not so true now. But, but because um, the other colleges are coming through just as strong, and always did really. But um, the um, we're getting we're really getting top notch students, and they're producing because the equipment is better. They're producing much better work, and we're kicking them off now to nearly trying to make. I'm sure David Quinn will kick me for saying this, but, but uh, we're trying to make first year, fourth year, you know? Mm -hmm. That's the way I look at it anyway. Yeah. We're trying to get more creativity out of them and uh, they're rising to it. They're rising to the challenge and they're producing they're producing a 10 second, 15 second piece at the end of for, uh, at their end of their first year, which has got, we could stand up to certainly their pitch at the end of third year for the fourth year films, you mm -hmm. know? And uh, we're looking forward to see what kind of fourth years they make, you know? Uh, 
what kind of work they make in fourth, fourth year. And I've got a feeling that uh, we're going to get a new wave of animators coming through. Mm. That'll be uh, Dunleary specials. Very good. Mm-hmm. So in your animation toolkit, you know, not the pencil and paper one, the one in your head, you have your problem solving. Yes. You have your draftsmanship. Yeah. You have your creativity. Yeah. Out of the three of them, how would you balance them? Is it about equal? Or is it maybe weighted in favor of one or the other? Yeah, I, I don't think the craft is that important. You, you know, it is great if you're a beautiful animator and do beautiful animation. But, you know, if you're not particularly good, you can make a wonderful film. There's lots of people who have, you know, uh, made a very brutalistic, uh, not bad animation, but, but, but brutalistic animation, not, not beautifully Disney-esque. Mm. Uh, so basically, it's the story is king. You know, mm-hmm. what what are you how uh, what are you telling and how are you telling it? And how you are telling it is the camera angles and the shots. So that's basic filmmaking, mm-hmm. and that's the basic problem. Then you decide, well, I'm animating this. So how what kind of style do I want it, and how beautiful do I want it, and or you know how how flowing is it going to be, mm-hmm. or you know, and that's all to your own personal taste. But basically. Um, Basically, it's filmmaking, and the basic filmmaking decisions are: you're telling a story with pictures, and you're doing it, and ed- you're really editing the pictures in the sequence that draw the people into it. You know. Okay. So it's not uh, the craft can come very late. You know, you can make it could make a good animation film out of matchsticks. You know, moving around in a frame. In fact, I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> it was all right. I was just coming back to me. I think you mentioned ma- matchstick film to me years ago when I was yeah. in college so yeah there was a famous Polish guy who came here and he made a film with matchsticks in it um, I think it was called The Arrow okay I've forgotten his name he worked out in Emerald City for a while wow yeah till he retired okay so where would you put yourself in terms of uh, you know the triangle so your problem solving and your draftsmanship and your creativity where do you follow this triangle somewhere in the middle yeah, personally yeah yeah i see myself as a director you know and i, I, I direct uh, I, I've, I've made a lot of live action films too uh, when i say a lot uh, about 10 mm. and um they're mostly dance films the odd experimental piece with pixelation which i guess is animation mm-hmm. and i've used some pixelation in some dance films and that's dance for camera where people dance in front of a camera mm-hmm. but the camera moves around them so they're con- the, it, the camera influences the dance it's not like capturing a, a choreographed dance stage piece and trying to capture that dance as they perform it on stage it's a, it's in a special location and uh could be outside in a field on the side of a mountain it could be in a in a, a derelict building, and and you have uh, the person trying to get a, a primitive narrative story because most people do try to tell a story through dance, and and you try to capture that and help that with with camera shots. So so that's a lot of the work I do. You know, is, is uh, there is a connection between dance and animation in that <coughs> you're worrying about weight and movement and timing. You know, they're they're obsessed by timing uh, dancers, and of course, very often they're. They're working either if they're modern dancers, they're working to gravity, you know, the, with gravity. So then one of the first things to learn is learn how to fall. So you get these amazing falls mm. and these amazing physical kind of clashes. Or they're ballerina types and they're trying to defy gravity and sort of leap across the stage with no effort. So it's very, very similar to animation. You're thinking movement and timing and mm. weight. And um, yeah, the, the other the other thing I didn't touch on is, is and perhaps it's very important, is, is um, festival work, you know. Uh, you know, there's a whole side of animation that I, I'm not interested in. Once I make a film, I forget about it, and that's distribution, you know, and it's really, it's very, very important for maybe you should get a distributor in here. Um, I'm trying to think of um, the guy who set up Monster Animations with Jared O'Rourke. Um, Fitzpatrick is his second name. 
we'll have to get his name um, take a note here yeah and come back to it and, and, and fit it in somehow but um, he's a distributor and you should you should get him uh, anyway l coming back to the story uh, festivals for me has been very very important like uh, going to the Annecy Film Festival in 1985 way back then that's the first time I met Jimmy Rakami was there actually and um just seeing the celebration of films uh, really, really, really appealed to me. And I got involved uh, about two or three years later setting up the Galway Film Fla. Mm. And that had the first, that first Fla had the first retrospective of Irish animation, the first meeting of animation professionals, which decided to have uh, that Galway should be, have um, a competition. So Galway the second year had the first Irish animation competition. And um, it also was where, uh, the, on the first one, the uh, Sneva Flynn came into the meeting and said, listen, guys, I found the first animation that was made in Ireland. It was in a garage in Forbro, just six miles away or ten miles away. And um, we thought at the time it was 1909, but it was Horgan's Clock Tower, which is, according to... Um, Yvonne Hennessy, who's an academic in Athlone, who's a, who's um, uh, specialises in animation, she she reckons um, it's 1909, mm. uh, 1919, not mm. 1909. But anyway, the thing of it, and she's right. But uh, but, um, but uh, the prize is the James Horgan Prize that we we established the next year, and so that was very very animation friendly. It still is, of course. Um, and a lot of the early animators went there and got saw their stuff on the big screen. Mm. I think that was really important because I did emphasize animation and the American studios and education, you know, the, and the young people and that, that perfect storm. Part of the perfect storm was the Galway Film Flow, mm. that it, it, it really celebrated uh, animation and um, grew up with animation in Ireland and a lot of success stories. Uh, um, John McCluskey and Derry, who's, who's got some beautiful, beautiful films, he came down to the flan and saw animation and went, wow, I want to do that. You know, mm. and came back the next year, maybe two years later with a piece and eventually came back with the first frameworks ever shown, um, which was Midnight Dance and, uh, you know, whenever that was, 1996, I think, mm. and, uh, uh, 97 maybe, and uh, he won. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that was a, the for was a major, major stepping stone into the industry for, for a lot of people. So it should get a lot of praise. It's coming up in the, it's coming up in uh, uh, mid-July this year. Mm -hmm. It always comes up in mid-July. But another festival has popped up. There's a couple of, fe all the festivals now have animation prizes, but this animation dingle is particularly good, a launching pad for animators. There's a lot of students orientated around students. Mm -hmm. and they meet people in the business and uh, get their first start. Like, you know. Yeah, there's a first yeah. film category down there. And As well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, they show a lot of student work down there, which is just perfect, you know, seeing it on the big screen and meeting professionals. Especially animation professionals, because that's another thing, a lovely thing about Irish, about animation festivals generally, is there's less BS at it, you know? Mm -hmm. There's no red carpet and there's no actor pretending that it's, the world revolves around <laughs> them, you know? And you can sit down in Annecy at a cafe and just talk to somebody, and the next thing you know, they're like two Oscar winners, and they're amazing animators, and mm -hmm. as modest as the day is long, you know? And it's, it's really, really endearing to meet them, you know? And uh, yeah, that had a big effect on me. So uh, I think Dingle is having a lot of effect on people. So good good luck to them down there. It's the Jam Media people who really established that. I have a hundred more questions for you, but I'm only going to ask one more because we're kind of coming up on our time. How do you deal with rejection? You've made so many films. <laughs> How I'm sure you got as many no's as you got yeses. Oh, more, yeah. Oh, more. All yeah. right. How yeah. do you cope? Um, well, what what the big growing up companies do, the likes of um, you know, uh, they would have ten pokers in the fire. So 
you get one rejected, it's like, uh, oh, well, there's nine more in there. So that's one way to try to get around it. Have another project ready to go, and you just take the hit and, oh, well, look, I've just put this one into the Arts Council or the BAI or TG Cower or something like that, and so maybe that'll, uh, that'll have the look this one didn't have. So that's, that's one way of dealing with it. Um, I think the other way of dealing with it is, uh, yeah, is to realize there's always somebody with a worse story than you. Because, you know, if you're a filmmaker, you can come up with a film script again and come up with a you know, storyboard again and draw it. Whereas, like, actors, you know, they, they get about 60 rejections a year. Mm. To hope maybe, maybe 120 and then get one, you know, and get a job every two years or something. So they're getting smacked in the face you know, every week. <laughs> so really get I mean, if you're a filmmaker, you're going to get smacked in the face once a year. Well, an independent filmmaker, uh, you know, you, you know, Frameworks comes around, 50 people put in. Uh, four or five people get it so 45 people are crying into their tea you know uh, that day but um, usually you know you've got something bubbling away in the background and you sort of fall back on that you have to you have to you have to give up I mean I haven't said that you know I'm working on a script at the moment which I started about 20 years ago and got rejected a few times and um, yeah so it's never quite dead. It might, if it's a good story, it'll get made. You know, this is a good story, and it might not get made. It's a feature, so who knows what'll happen? You know, there's a lot of things that could go wrong making a feature. But um, I had another film that I made. Um, in fact, it was the last animation I made, which I think was in two thousand. It was finished in two thousand and eighteen, and that was about twelve years old, mm. and had been rejected. And I actually approached T.G. Carr about it about a dance film because I want to do something in Irish dance and uh, I thought they might have some extra money somewhere floating around and I said listen uh, it was uh, Liam O'Malley and I said Liam is there any money floating around I only need two grand and I'll shoot some <laughs> Irish dance he said you know I've always been thinking about that story you told me in the flat ten years ago and I went oh yeah the story about the famine yeah 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 and he said write that up and I did and he, I, I got funded from the BEI on the back of it yeah so uh, you know, maybe that's something you can cling on to that it's just it's time isn't right you might be able to re revisit it I know Aidan Hickey had a story about that too about a film that he took down after 10 years he needed someone saying please throw in a film and uh, he took something off the shelf that was up there for 10 years and bam he got it made mm -hmm. so um, yeah so that's another thing you can tell yourself with rejections there's, there's people getting worse harder rejections more often than you will You've always got something in the, you know, cooking in the back somewhere anyway, and that idea just mightn't have been ready for that time, and it might come off the shelf again, you know. So don't throw it away completely. Okay, great. Yeah. Keep trying. Oh, yeah. There's loads of time. Yeah, absolutely. Keep trying. That's the name of the game. And also, you're never going to really create the perfect film you ever wanted to either, you know. You'll always need a couple of more days and a couple of more grand, you know, euros, and and uh, and you know, it never. There's something. I'm, that's not true I'm sure some much better filmmakers than I have <laughs> produced the, the vision of their dreams for the budget they had and the time they had mm. but, but finished is better than perfect and made is better uh, yeah. than in the shelf and yeah I think so yeah. yeah so yeah okay wonderful thank you so much for coming oh, in and talking much. to me it's been a pleasure it was a real pleasure for me too thank you very much I've learned so much <laughs> <laughs> it's very kind of you thank you okay bye